know yourself, get your hands dirty. I mean, don't be the student that is worried about creating the wealth. Get your hands dirty, get in the muck. It's cliche, but get in the muck and follow your passion and know that you can change the world. Watching others or helping others do it is not nearly as fun. That was Sonia Single, CEO, Gap Inc. I'm Adrian Negreros, an MBA student of the class of 2021. This year, I had the pleasure of interviewing Single from her home office in San Francisco. She shared the story of how she climbed the career ladder and how you too can strive for the C-suite, along with fascinating insight on how Gap Inc. continues to revolutionize its business and democratize style. You're listening to View from the Top, the podcast. We are always so grateful to have alums back with us. Thanks for joining today. It's good to be here, Adrian. Nice Gap t-shirt too. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. You know, Sonia, there's a lot I want to talk about. Let's just dive right in. Learning more about you and your family, it became very clear to me you had their support forever. Your mom recognized your natural creativity, your design skill. Your father said, Sonia, you can break any barrier out there in the male-dominated corporate world. That sounds like a pretty unique upbringing to me. Could you tell us more about it? Sure. Uh, listen, I, I, it's, you know, my passion for fashion started at a very young age. You're right. Uh, I was 12 years old. I was five foot seven and 95 pounds and nothing fit. So for me, it was you know, a necessity born of, or invention born of necessity. I, we didn't have a lot of money. I had to make my own clothes so that I felt good in what I wore. And my, my mother was amazing driving me around Montreal uh, to any fabric store that I wanted and really enabled enabled that creativity. Um, in addition, one of the things I'm really grateful for for her is she made sure that I could be highly functional in any room. And she insisted that, um, you know, every weekend uh, we socialize with, with her friends and, and family and, and other people that just happened to wander through our house. And it was an expectation that we would talk, engage with adults <clears throat> from a very early age. And as I've walked into all the various scenarios this year, that's been quite helpful. So her and then my father really just uh, expecting us to do, my sister and I, to reach whatever height we wanted. And that really being the expectation through education, which is what brought me to Stanford. Incredible, I love that. And I'm excited to talk about you socialized with people older than you. We'll get back to that in just a second. So Sonia, for actually right now, I mean, Kettering University, right? That's where you go to college yeah. and it's in Michigan, well-known for the automobile CEOs it produces and you start at Ford and you're 21 or so with your pencil in one hand and clipboard in the other on the night shift, asked to evaluate the productivity of 50 to 60 year olds. So could you tell us about that? <laughs> yeah, that was, you know, I, whenever I think what was the hardest job I ever had to do, I think of that job. So this job is a piece of cake relative to that one. Um, you know, union shift, union workers, midnight shift. Um, and my job was to make them more productive. Some, you know, a 21 year old fresh engineer that really didn't know a lot. And, uh, that was fun. You know, you, you realize that connecting with humans at a human level, laughing together, um, you know, is really the source of unlocking value. Did I discover any opportunities? Sure, maybe a little bit here and there, but um, relating to the, the working um, people on, on the shift 
And then observing, very closely observing how work was done was what made me successful in that moment. And uh, and, and I didn't get a lot of sleep because it was midnight shift. So there's that. Yeah. And I think, you know, you're right. You've called those the boiler room jobs before. I think it's where we yeah. really learn a lot about ourselves. Yeah. And I think, listen, um, I'm a big fan of getting your hands dirty and investing your personal time and your careers um, you know, where value is inherently created uh, in this world. And so for me, I've always been drawn to that, to making things, to creating that value, to observing that. And, and to me, uh, tied to the making of things, watching product at scale happen in the auto industry uh, was incredibly stimulating, exciting, so much complexity. And uh, that was one of the many jobs that I did there. At this time, Sonia, you also recognized you can't be what you can't see. What do you mean by that? And how did it maybe influence your decision to move out west? And then Kettering was an incredible education I had. You know, it was a co-op program for five years. I worked 10 different roles um, in the bowels of a large Fortune 500 company at the time. Uh, Ford was at its top in market cap uh, in, in its history when I was there. So much to learn. But I stepped back and, and I looked up and... Uh, the entire executive team were largely white, largely male, the entire board, same. And the calculus that I made was, um, do I want to work through all that or do I want to go to sunny California? I knew I wanted to go to graduate school anyways. And so all the grad schools I applied to were up, uh, on the West Coast. Uh, and um, that's how I ended up here, was making that decision to move to the light. <laughs> Sonia, you said you started at Stanford, of course, on the West Coast. I think we have a picture to show everyone. Oh, God. Hope you're, hope you're okay with this. <laughs> could, could you tell us what's, what's happening here? Yeah, so this was one of the uh, courses that we were taking, and the objective here was a race around the quad, and we were in partner teams, and we had to make this vehicle of using materials that were pre-described, and whoever got there fastest around the quad won. So um, you can see me in the middle there with my partner on the left. And um, we came in second, so not quite satisfying. And uh, I think it is a Gap sweater that I'm wearing in the 90s. So there's that, although my fashion sense there is leave something to be desired. But uh, that was a fun moment. Again, engineering, you know, you look around and what's obvious is, um, you know, it, you know, continuing to work in, in a sort of a high male, 90% male dominated industry, <clears throat> whether it was auto or tech, well, has always been a feature of my early professional uh, time. And it was very forming as well. So uh, an example of that here. Exactly. And Sonia, I also heard from your team, you met your husband on your very first day at Stanford. Is that true? I did. The best thing that came from Stanford was that I met my husband and um, that I, you know, you leave with a sort of complete freedom to believe anything is possible. But let's start with my husband, because that's hands down the best. Yeah, we met at the welcome picnic the night before. And, um, you know, I shown up with my <clears throat> pencils all sharpened and my schedule all laid out and all ready to go, quite organized. And he showed up um, having flown in from traveling and trekking around the world for the last four months with a goatee and his Birkenstocks and um, literally had flown in the night before. So quite different, but um, I guess opposites attract. And, and really where we 
connected was, I mean, certainly all over campus, but our shared values. I think we really discovered how similar we were in that uh, in one of our classes, ambidextrous thinking, which was a, a fun class at the time. It's incredible. And to all the students listening, love is out there. Be patient, be kind. It might just happen on the Stanford campus. And as my mother tells me, the most important thing, the most important decision you make is, is who you partner with. And so um, I consider that my ultimate Stanford success. Absolutely. Completely agree. So Sonia, you've been on the West Coast for a while now. You're at a decade with Sun Microsystems and then join Gap Inc. Let's do it. Let's talk about Gap Inc. for a little bit. It's close to home, right? It started in 1969 when Don and Doris Fisher are selling Levi's jeans and records. And thus Don says, let's call this company Pants and Discs. I think that's super trendy <laughs> in 2021. What, what are your thoughts, Sonia? Well, <clears throat> well, I'll, let me get to that. But I will say when I was at Stanford graduating, uh, I attended a view from the top and heard Scott McNeely speak and um, joined Sun Microsystems for a decade because of that. And, you know, uh, it was a, a, a wonderful decade for me, uh, motivated by his inspiration. And for me, really, the, what that taught me was um, think big, really think big, you know. But then, you know, when I joined Gap, very deliberate for me, going back to what really um, turns me on personally, you know, and what, what do I really connect with and and fashion at scale was something that was right. And then as you said, uh, the early years of Gap, what, what a legacy that I have to, to honor, right? And, and Don and Doris at the beginning founded this company in 1969. Uh, they each put in $21,000 of their respective monies. And thank God Doris uh, took over the naming of the company because, <laughs> you know, uh, pants and discs versus the, it started as the generation gap and then uh, truncated to the gap was really much more compelling and captured the zeitgeist of the moment, which Doris did. Gotcha. So you're not, you're, pants and disc isn't coming anytime soon. We're not making <laughs> Listen, we can sell pants and we can play music. You don't have to call it that. <laughs> gotcha. Makes sense. So Sonia, your first role at Gap Inc. was for Old Navy, or not your first role, but your most recent role rather, was for Old Navy. And as Dean Levin said, you did an incredible job there, growing the business from seven to $8 billion. Their motto starts with, imagine that the world runs right. How did you help Old Navy run right? So, you know, I think Old Navy plays a special part in people's lives. And, and uh, it's a, a brand that was begun to give a respectful and aspirational environment and clothing as a result, um, where there was no compromise for the value sector. You know, before then, you could only shop for your clothes at, at Kmart or, or what have you. And, and my husband used to tell me, like, when he was young, his mother used to have to drag him there, and he was so embarrassed by having to wear those clothes to school. And the whole objective of Old Navy was pride and respect for these fam for our families. And, um, you know, that's what Imagine if the World Runs Right is, is, is everyone feeling included, everyone feeling welcome. And taking Old Navy from $7 billion to $8 billion was um, sharpening our focus on that differentiation, uh, making sure that came through in the branding, in the products that we offered, um, and being relentless in no compromise around fashion, around the fun of the brand, the family essence of the brand, and the value that that brand created. So, you know, I stepped back and looked around and, and I felt like, okay, our strength at the core 
needed a little bit more focus. So we did that. And then we had the ability to grow the brand through expansion, both digital and stores that we did um, while I was there. Talk about kind of sharpening some of the, the points around Old Navy inclusivity for one. You know, Gap was founded to do more than sell clothes, right? It's yeah. kind of in your DNA to create for all and be created by all, to design for all and be designed by all. You said in previous interviews, you don't want the Gap Inc. legacy to be a flash in the pan moment. You want to really embrace inclusivity and live it every day. So now as CEO of all of the brands, how do you think about making sure that happens? Yeah, you know, for all of the assets and the values that we've had as a company, we also were a, comp we're a company that needs radical change so that we can uh, take on the next 50 years on a, uh, with, a, with an acceleration towards growth. And as I reflected on the past 50 years and, and think about the next 50 at this juncture, that's really what I think about. And while we had all these attributes, we had great founders, great legacy, great values, great brands, we didn't have the singular clarity of why this company exists. So the, the work that I did in the first year, in addition to losing 70% of my revenue um, at the height of the crisis and burning 140 million of cash a week in those early years, in those early days, was declare, what do, why do we exist? What is our company purpose? And so as a team, we landed on that. We landed on, we are inclusive by design as our North Star, we articulated that. And that's given us a uh, great business focus, great, great business focus uh, to make our decisions and, and whether they're small decisions or big decisions. So great legacy just needed a, a clear articulation, which we did. Absolutely. And I think looking at your leadership team, right? Eight out of 12 are women, people of color represented. To me, kind of thinking about the four days of you can't be what you can't see, seems like you're you're executing it right now at Gap Inc. Well, part of it is just good business sense. I mean, we want to reflect customers, our customers. Our customers are 75% female. Uh, we reflect uh, the diversity of America, uh, and we want to have that empathy and that understanding and that diversity of thought such that we can best service our customers. So to me, um, looking for that different, you know, different points of view, but in reflection of who we're serving our customers was an important step for us to take. Personally, I really appreciate that, Sonia. I think a lot of companies, organizations want to do that. Again, it's so cool to see Gap Inc. execute. I want to talk about something you kind of mentioned about looking 50 years forward. You've talked about risk-taking a lot. We had Satya Nadella with us last year for from the top, and his parting advice for the MBA students was to be bold and to be right. If you're not bold, nothing cool will get done. And he said, if you're not right, you're not going to be around too long to see anything happen, period. <laughs> so, so where is Gap being the boldest and hopefully right? Yeah, so I talked about our why we exist as a company. Um, we all, you guys have all taken the class, I'm sure, around culture eats strategy for lunch, right? So the most important thing is defining your cultural tenants for a company. Uh, the number one uh, one we, we've said is we stake our future on is create with audacity. So creating with audacity is really to signal this idea of boldness, this idea of taking risks, you know. And so um, to me, that's, you know, that's going to be a big part of our next chapter. And, you know, you're seeing that in some of our decisions as we navigate and uh, move to acceleration. 
Absolutely. Could you tell us more, Sonia, about some of the new initiatives, the partnerships, the franchise agreements, and how perhaps those decisions may have not happened just a few years ago? Yeah, listen, I think um, at our core, we're best when we're at the zeitgeist of culture. It's a little bit back to where um, the company was founded, right? We captured this generational divide that was happening in the late 60s uh, and, and anchored the company on that. It's no different today. You know, we're at our best when we're at this intersection of culture and with the right products and services. So as we thought about um, this moment in time and the partnerships and the people, whether it's a partnership with Easy or a partnership with the largest licensing company, um, that is part of our, our, our calculus is that's gonna feed our create with audacity. It's gonna extend the reach of these brands that are known and loved and are woven into American fabric. Um, and it's going to allow us to expand on both of those dimensions. Super exciting. I think all of us consumers can't wait to see what we can purchase in the next few years at the Gap Inc. stores. Let's talk a little bit about mentorship and leadership, Sonia. So first thing on mentorship, I think we have a photo again. This one isn't from 1995. I think it's more recent. <laughs> this is yes. Eubisaurus, right? Yeah, so that's Doris and I. That's Doris, our, one of our co-founders. And aren't we fortunate to have Doris, who also studied at Stanford, got her economics degree in 1953, co-started uh, this company and was very involved. And I like to describe Doris as the heart of this company. Not only was she smart enough to name it right and was our <laughs> first uh, head merchant, but um, she is a woman who always spoke her mind. And that's what we all remember about her. In addition to... The fact that she was a mother, uh, an activist, a philanthropist, um, and uh, put everyone ahead of herself, um, but always spoke her mind. So she's a great role model for me personally and for all of us. And we all stand on the shoulders of those that came prior. Um, and she's, you know, she's one that uh, of many that I look to for inspiration. Incredible. Sonia, I'd love to hear more about mentorship, I guess, broadly as well. So how have you thought about finding mentors throughout your career and then maybe even today transitioning to being a mentor for others? For me, it's always been about what do I need to learn? You know, what do I need to learn? Where am I? And there's always things to learn. The mentors I have right now are incredible. And, um, you know, I'll always be seeking them out. Your first and most important mentor is your direct boss. And people underestimate that. That's a very important um, relationship to fully activate. I've gotten so much value over the course of my career uh, from the direct boss relationship. And then, of course, there's mentors that all want to help. You know, people are really very, very helpful. So, um, you know, personally, I've reached out to, you know, Scott and I have, uh, he's been very helpful. Scott McNeely, who was the CEO of my prior company, helping me right now as I think about. Uh, the work that I'm undertaking, uh, chairman of the board. I've got a mentor that I met through the Catalyst organization, which is uh, an organization that's really about uh, accelerating women in leadership. And I met her 10 years ago and really wanted to choose her because she had complementary skills to what I had. And she was a marketing expert. I, I didn't have as much of that. So those are examples of how I've chosen mentors. And then how I um, choose the people that I uh, mentor, it's a tough one. I mean, I think that uh, I'm personally drawn to uh, mentees that have a lot of fire 
<laughs> and a lot of ambition and that perhaps I can help guide and accelerate that. Um, but to me, um, you know, I don't like people that are whiners. I really have very low tolerance for that. So I, I, I tend to choose people that can help themselves and that I can then um, hopefully give a helping hand to. For sure. And I think, Sonia, you mentioned something that I think a lot of us think about a lot at, at Stanford, feeling uncomfortable asking for help and then maybe feeling like you're invading on someone's time. But to what to what you just described, you know, you can always give it back later and people, they want to help. Right? Everyone wants to help. It's really you knowing yourself to know where your where your gaps are and to choose mentors that can help you accelerate that gap. And then it becomes a very symbiotic relationship. I've always found that I give as much as I get in both of those um, relations on both sides of that relationship. It's wonderful advice. Sonia, I want to close by talking a little bit about leadership. Over this past year, maybe than any other CEO in the world, you had quite a unique situation. You're named CEO of Gap Inc. late March of last year. All your stores then closed down, as you mentioned before. Could you take us through those early moments, those first few days? What were you thinking? How did you lead this company? Yeah, it's, uh, I'm probably going to have PTSD around it, Adrian, at some point, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but I will tell you in that moment, being named and then 48 hours having to uh, take 10,000 headquarters employees to shelter in place, and then 48 hours after that, having to furlough 100,000 employees mm. um, and losing 70% of our revenue, realizing we had seven weeks, eight weeks of cash at the burn rate because of our fixed infrastructure. Um but, you know, when I step back and maybe in that moment of crisis, you everything becomes super clear. You know, it's like that Apollo 13 moment, you know, when you just have to get it done. And the situation requires us to step into the leadership required. And so that's that's what happened. And, you know, you have to believe that we're all here for a reason. I was in that role at that time to lead and um had to feel confident that the training in my life had made me ready for that. And, you know, humans are very, very capable. They really are. And so just confidence and belief and focused on the work was what got me through those early days. And then we quickly pivoted, you know, we got the largest bond offering in the history of uh, retail because everyone recognizes the value and the power of these brands. And as soon as we secured our liquidity, we quickly pivoted to offense and um, have not looked back and, you know, declared our strategy, our power strategy and our, our growth strategy and we're off to the races. So now I'm having a lot of fun and uh, every day is fun and every day is um, full of challenges, but, you know, I'm thankful that all of the experiences that I've had over the course of my journey um, has prepared me as best as anyone can be prepared. Incredible. I'm glad you're having fun now. I just saw your Generation Good campaign yesterday. That sounds incredible. Super exciting. So glad we're back on the offense at Gap Inc. Yeah, it's listen, it's it's an incredibly fun company and a fun and a, uh, you know, why did I chose why did I chose get choose Gap Inc? You know, for me, the impact, uh, first of all, the fashion industry puts more food on the table of families around the world than any other industry other than the food industry. A lot of people don't know that. So for every job I have, 15 jobs come with it around the world. And so that's one. And then the other is, you know, it is um, highly technical, 1500 engineers. It's highly creative. 
2,000 artists and designers. There's workers in 30 countries around the world. We sell in 93 countries. So the, the, the complexity and the impact and all of these different kinds of people is amazing. And then also it's just fun and cool. Like if anyone had told me that I'd be meeting with President Trump and Kanye within a four day period to transact deals, I don't think I would have believed it um, or, you know, or what have you, but it just happens to be again, back at the intersection of what's relevant today. So yeah, it is a lot of fun on um, uh, a daily basis. Thanks, Adrian. You mentioned President Trump, Kanye. I almost want to ask about the conversations, but I won't. I'll let my, my classmates continue this discussion, Sonia. We have a couple questions from the audience. I wanted to ask you how you navigate being considered an overrepresented minority while also being the only female South Asian Fortune 500 CEO. Yeah, you know, I really struggled with it at the beginning. Uh, I was, you know, I didn't want to be known as the minority female CEO, right? And I was sort of adamant about that. But it is inevitable because that is what I am. And there's not many of us. In fact, there's there's none, as you, as you point out, um, or there's a couple. But I guess, uh, and, and by the way, I'm, I'm no longer trending. We have, you know, Rosalind Brewer is now the new one. So it's great. Now people can just evaluate me based on my results, which is, which is what I would like. Um, so I guess I, I moved into ease with it over the year, um, started out sort of not wanting to that to be the determinant, realizing though that it also is an opportunity to um, inspire the next generation. And really for me though, my ultimate sense of self and, and sense of success is gonna be winning. I am motivated by winning. I'm really motivated by winning. And so the benefit of that is I get to stay in this job longer and I get to role model um, hopefully uh, the next chap the next generation longer. Hi, Sonia. Thank you for being here today. And thank you for giving us a little window into some of the challenges you faced over the last year. The question for you is how do you envision the future of retail in a post-COVID or the physical retail stores in a post-COVID world? Yeah, I think physical is really, really important. You know, humans are uh, five dimensions, you know, we've got five senses and I would argue six senses. We've got the obvious five senses and then we have the heart, which is our sixth sense, what we feel. And um, retail, I mean, uh, apparel in my sector, but in general, retail large, largely transacted 80% in a physical environment. So sales are generated primarily in a physical environment. Now that physical environment has to be relevant. It has to, be differentiated. I mean, I've got a, we've got the next generation that pretty much only transacts on their iPhones, yet they crave experiences, right? Um, and they will go to want experiences. So the obligation on us is to create those experiences that are relevant. That's going to change all the time. Um, I think if we can do that, and we will, the it, it maintains this premise that humans go through the world, the physical world, physical human beings, that interface is really, really important. It's incumbent on us to make it good. Thank you. I think there's something exciting, Sonia, about the physical store still. I, I always get excited when I walk into a Gap store. I probably never leave without buying something. So as a consumer, I think we're all excited to see what kind of changes moving forward in that experience. Thanks, Adrian. Yeah, 86% of apparel purchases are emotional purchases. So uh, what you what you just expressed is how I make my money for this company, and uh, I appreciate that. Please go go shop in more stores. We we need the revenue. This is why I have too many black sweaters. So, <laughs> you can never have too many. Just see my closet. 
I want to close with our lightning round on View from the Top. It's a tradition. Are you ready for it? I think so. Okay. So best date spot on the Stanford campus. Oh, gosh. Um, I'd say the Dutch Goose. I don't know if it's still there, but that's where we had many drinks uh, when, when we were there. Got it. Perfect. Your favorite or best new quarantine hobby slash skill? Um, cooking. I mean, I think I really have embraced cooking. I hadn't done, hadn't done much of that in recent times, but it's very therapeutic and enjoying it. Completely agree. Sonia, could you tell us the best piece of advice to leave the Stanford community? Uh, know yourself. Know yourself. Get your hands dirty. I mean, don't be the student that is worried about creating the wealth. Um, get your hands dirty. Get in the muck. And, um, you know, it's cliche, but get in the muck and follow your passion and know that you can change the world. Watching others or helping others do it is not nearly as fun. Agree. So the last one is very easy. None of this open-ended situation. So I'm going to give you some options, okay? <laughs> so the best brand, Banana Republic, Old Navy, Gap, or Athleta? Oh, boy. It's like asking me to choose between my children. Don't I sort of uh, – here's the way I would answer it. There's four characters in Sex and the City. Okay. As a woman, we're, we all relate to all of them at any one given time. So I, I have this theory that we're all those four women. And so it's the same with these brands. We all affiliate with these incredible brands. Sometimes you're a banana public mind, uh, mode when you're interviewing. Sometimes you want to go feel free and you, you buy that hoodie from Gap. And sometimes you take your family for their kids' clothes to Old Navy. And sometimes you got to really win on the workout field and you put on a fleta. It, we're all, all are important. For sure. They're all incredible brands. Sonia, thank you so much for joining. We can't wait to see what happens at Gap Inc. over the next few years under your leadership. Thanks, Adrian. You've been listening to View from the Top, the podcast, a production of Stanford Graduate School of Business. This interview was conducted by me, Adrian Agueros of the MBA class of 2021. Lily Sloan composed our theme music and Kelsey Doyle produced this episode. You can find more episodes of this podcast at our website, www.gsb.stanford.edu. Follow us on social media at Stanford GSB.